must get a lot of people asking to be in the museum for the penis, human penis display. He goes, no, what are you talking about? I said, well, if I wanted to do it, how would I do it? He goes, well, I, here, here's my email address. When you get back <laughs> to Boston, email me and we'll figure something out. And so uh, I did just that. Uh, I, I had uh, been in contact with him since and uh, he sent me official letter stating that when I die, my penis will be sent to the Icelandic Phallological Museum to be put on display. Hi, I'm Reina and you're listening to The Reina Sense, my meandering, freewheeling, improvised podcast where I talk to people that interest me about whatever grabs our fancy. This podcast probably isn't going to help you grow your business or save time or make money. It's not goal-oriented or results-driven or outcome-focused. So put on your headphones, take a walk, go for a drive, or have a little lie-down and savor the bliss of doing little else but listening to eccentric people being open and honest and enjoying each other's company. If you dig my vibe, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Establishing a good connection is hard. Holding on to it sometimes feels impossible. Today, I talk with my guest, Jake Tringali, a.k.a. Jake the Poet, about finding and holding on to connections and also letting them go. We broach the subjects of childhood slights and insights, names changed intentionally and accidentally, and he shares the story of discovering the Iceland Phallological Museum, essentially a dick exhibit, and how he chased his dream of making a contribution. The show opens with this improvised mandolin tune, Little Ditty by Jake. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jake. Hello. How are you today, Reina? It worked. Okay. Hi. Welcome to the show. <laughs> ah, this is a first. I'm Can glad you... to be on the show. I'm glad to be on your podcast. I've listened to the previous ones. Interesting people that you meet in your life. And I know what the show is all about. So let's talk about... What is three, it about? I don't know. The, you tell the three me. important ways to improve your business and get profits to, <laughs> to make your diet better, to get your life life as wonderful as everyone as, as mine. And uh, so let the healing begin. Let the healing begin. Well, at least the connection got established. So that's step one. <laughs> yes. um, 
I feel like at the end of this, I'm going to be an expert in troubleshooting very specific things. <laughs> if nothing else, I will gain some very niche knowledge out of this, which is fine by me. I'm very excited by knowing obscure things. So I don't know what it is, though, that worked this time. But for the record, we've been trying for like a while now to get this very easy connection to work and it was not, <laughs> but now here we are. Yes. So um, I know we were messaging earlier and you mentioned something about sort of the mysteries of the universe will be revealed. And this is number one, like why the fuck <laughs> was it so hard <laughs> for a link to open on the other side and for this thing to start? I, I feel like in every episode, I'm going to talk for the first 10 minutes about the the quality of the connection or the difficulty establishing the connection or the technology behind why it finally got established and all the troubleshooting. Connections are difficult. I mean, if we're talking about the mysteries of the universe, then let's talk about entropy and how things are tending to go toward shit and just be destroyed in the long run. And so when you can find a connection, technical or otherwise, with someone else, you, you, know, you, gotta, you gotta hold on to that. That is a great way of looking at it. Yes, I am also feeling this metaphor. Which means we can't hang um, up. This podcast has to go on forever. This is a very important connection. Forever. We've spent too much time <laughs> trying to get it going and starting up. Now we're pot invested. Did you grow up looking for people to connect with and having trouble with that? When I was growing up, I thought that relationships and friendships were like perfect things. Like you were in a super, super good friend or I didn't know you at all. Um, like it was very binary to me when I was like in third, fourth, fifth grade, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Uh, until I realized, you know what? I, I, I actually, I remember sitting down and writing a list of all my friends. Uh, all the people that I knew, like along the neighborhood in the block, this was in Malden, Massachusetts, not too far away from where we are right now. And I wrote down all those things. And then I wrote down like all the things that they had done to like slight me or like, <laughs> or like maybe they... you did this at age seven, eight and nine. <laughs> yeah. Like you made a... Jay. Oh, yep. Hello, Raina. This... Hi there is very poetic which is great because you're a poet so this is very poetic that we had trouble establishing the connection then we established the connection then the first wish was to hold on to the connection forever and the next <laughs> thing that happens is that the connection drops yes the lesson yeah. here for me is of non-attachment and gratitude. I'm going to take <laughs> No, no, no. You always have to, you, you, eventually you learn to fight for that thing. It's oh, important. yeah? Yeah. But well, I what think I was for me, it's like fighting with ease rather than fighting with sticks. I'm an easy Yeah, I, clearly there's a there's a break even point somewhere, right? When you're yeah. maybe in a I in tried a, again. Here we are. That? We yeah. tried again and here we are. So great. Right, we didn't give up. We did not give up. 
you were telling me about a reckoning list you made when you were very young about yes. all the slides. Tell me about the slides that the young people in your friends list had bestowed upon you. Bestowed is the wrong word, clearly, for the slide. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the pains that they had gifted me. Yes. The pains that they had gifted you. Hey, again, yeah. I will go the poetic route. The pains that they had gifted you. Tell me about the pains. Yes. Um, I, I remember being young and, you know, just getting into little neighborhood scraps and fights here and there, or maybe someone like might steal a piece of candy from me or just like the most minor things, or maybe they would like the girl that I liked too, or something stupid like that. And so, um, I, I remember of the like 10 people that I had put on my, my close friends list, like nine of them had done some slights to me and there was only one that was like a perfect relationship because like in my, in my head I thought there was just these things called perfect relationships hmm. and um, so I, I realized then that it's not so binary or, or maybe I was still thinking in a binary fa fashion and I was just like okay maybe I have no friends um, so it was around then that I started like putting up barriers and walls and like obstacles to being my friend <laughs> or to, to being able to hurt me later on and then much oh, later after oh. that are like no these connections are very very important how did you learn to do this at a very young age both the things one making the list of friends then outlining the slides then going through the process the mental process of understanding maybe you have no friends maybe all the friendships are meant to be like gray like this I mean, this is an incredible amount of self-awareness, I have to say, for a young person. I had none of this. I, I suffered all, all the, the, the consequences of such, of such relationships, but I don't feel like I had such active awareness. So where did that come from? I think that it came from, I remember when I was young and being in school and then being home or playing with friends or whatever, I remember having a lot of time on my hands and my brain was always working. I remember mm. thinking, well, if I just, when I get to the point where I can get to college or like be on my own or have a car or whatever it might be, some, some sort of independence, having money, things that would make me an independent person. I was waiting for those things to happen. And like, I would, I'd had schoolwork, but I would like finish next year's homework during the year of the school that I was in. Like I was, I was bored. I, what I'm saying is I was bored. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was sitting in my I can room relate to that. and just think of things. And I was like, you know, my dad got me a computer. I set up programming com a computer, just, you know, anything to while away the time. And so I was stuck in my head most of the time. I still am. Uh, and it allows <laughs> me to uh, reflect on many, many things. Now I'm curious about when you were growing up was was there a time when you realized, oh, relationships can be things that can be hurtful? And, and like, how, how does one put up a safe, healthy barrier to, to making, you know, making sure that you're not hurt too hard? I think for me, it was probably very reactionary. I am a person, as you might know, I feel a lot of things and I didn't realize that I felt a lot more than most people that were around me. So 
I was grappling with kind of this duality. I don't know if it was a duality, but I was grappling with the fact that no one around me seemed to understand what I was dealing with on the inside. I had a lot of questions. They were all big questions. I had a lot of feelings. They were all big feelings. I had a lot of hopes and dreams and curiosities that were not very standard. And I didn't really have anywhere to put them. So like you, I was kind of, I was a very like unnaturally smart kid. Like I didn't have to work very hard, but I enjoyed my lessons. They were a way to direct some of my energy. So I would I would do all the English homework in advance, for example. Um, then I was called out by the teacher as like, oh, everyone look at Reina. She's finished all her English homework in advance. And I was like, this is a safe haven for me. So I think for me, I hid. That's how I hid in plain sight. Like I hid by being absorbed into things. I was always making things yes. on my own. I was on my own a lot. Like I had a, I have a sister and we hung out. I had a lot of um, structured time. Like I had classes and stuff after school. Like school was a lot of structure. And then I had all, I don't know. I mean, I had free time, a little bit of free time, but I was alone in that free time a lot. Yeah. So I would, I would read and think and wonder and ponder, but I was in my head a lot. I think what I longed for most was just to find role models of people who spoke like me and thought like me. So I didn't feel so strange and alone. And that's taken me about four decades (laughs) to find. But you feel like you've, you, there must be some sense of accomplishment at this point that you've found people that look, sound, think, have the same beliefs as you in some fashion, right? There's definitely, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is that the look part of it is the least, right? Because I grew up around people who looked like me but who didn't feel like me. I think that's what it is. Like for me, I'm a very feeling person. And so I couldn't understand why everything around me, even though it was familiar on the outside, like the shape and form and material kind of, yeah, the material form of it was familiar. The cultural form of it was familiar. The language of it was familiar. But the feeling was always alien. I grew up feeling... I, this sounds extreme, but I grew up feeling almost like an emotional orphan. Like I had everything I needed. I mean, I was very well cared for as a child. I had a a, a safe home and good food to eat and uh, a house full of family. And I got to see the world in ways that many people don't. So I'm super grateful for all of those things and a good education. But emotionally, I always felt like an outsider. And so that was my struggle. Um, and a lot of the messaging where I was culturally growing up in India too, a lot of the messaging was, you know, you got to conform or control yourself or get in line and do the things the way they've been laid out for you and not having anybody visible around me who was, for lack of a better word, queer like me. I mean, I'm queer in the broadest sense, the big Q of queer, like I'm a, I don't fit into the normal into the standard mode that I was given and it was an uncomfortable place. So I think I was so caught up in dealing with the discomfort that I didn't, I was very curious. I was always seeking things. I was always talking to people that I 
wasn't supposed to talk to quote unquote you know or wasn't they they weren't part of my my the given world that i was um raised in so i was always kind of finding little little corners and and pockets and places to to inquire so i was inquisitive i was a very curious inquisitive child um with a lot of questions and i still am a curious inquisitive <laughs> child with a lot of questions and i think i will be like this till the day i die i have a lot of questions and i don't expect answers these are not questions that i want answers to i simply want to find other people who have these questions and can expand my approach to these questions and can also we can we can support and hold each other and make space for each other and open each other's perspectives you know that's really my quest i mean if i were yes. to have one quest with the capital quest with the <laughs> this is a capital Q conversation. Questions of <laughs> quests and questions of queerness. Um, yeah, and so one of the things I'll take away from this conversation is the image of little Reina with big emotions. I like that. Yes, very big, very very big feelings. I mean, look, all the stuff I do now requires, you know. I, I do things that require a lot of space. Uh, I, I, my music is loud. My media work is kind of far reaching. Like it, it all, it's not easily contained. I'm not an easily contained person. No. Um, and yeah, and I think that trying to reach out for other people that maybe had similar ideas. And I think it's safe for both of us to say we're, we didn't seek out people too often with like the white picket fence. Let's go to Applebee's. It's Friday night ideas. Um, we may have looked for more people that are more on the artistic side of things. Um, and so I, I didn't realize that that could be done until I got maybe later on into high school and then in college in which uh, I learned that if you, I, I learned to say yes, much more. And, and not only that, but yes, mm. but like I, I would scream yes. Like I would be obnoxiously screaming yes to whatever would be happening in front of me in high school or whatever. If someone said, hey, I need a volunteer. I would be, in, I would be the first person up on the stage or the first person wherever. Um, and then in college, it got to the point where I learned, hey, that person across the room looks interesting or is talking about a subject that's interesting to me and you can just walk up to someone and say you're interesting let's be friends which is a hard thing to do that's great i do it all the time i was told as a child i should not talk to strangers as we all are and later on too it's like you can't just go talking to anyone and i guess i'd be <laughs> I've made something of a life yes. <laughs> out of doing exactly that. Isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, a lot of the friends that I made are made exactly in that way. So, or, so, or maybe even maybe a little bit more sly in which, you know, they were at the club together and I kind of like just kind of sidle up to this person just kind of slowly and <laughs> not too creepily, hopefully, and just be like, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, you can talk to me. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I'm still shy from time to yeah. time. So I was I was about to ask, were you a shy kid? Yes. 
I could say I could say I was a shy kid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, most of most of the time was spent on solitary. Uh, a lot of the time, like when I was trying to expand my universe, it would be like on solo walks throughout the suburbs of uh, northern Boston, um, or like on my on my like BMX bike, just riding around looking for whatever action was going to happen to like. 14, 15 year old Jake. I mean, you changed a lot about your life from what it was given. I did. Given I literally changed my name at that point. Growing up. I realized, I, re- well, see, I realized that. I didn't, I was walking uh, down Route 1. And if you know Boston and Route 1, it's not a place that you walk. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you walk the sidewalk? There's, sidewalk? Yeah, there's barely a sidewalk there. Uh, it's not there's, no, there's no sidewalk. There's no Triple. sidewalk. It's just like it's 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 this it's not very good. Anyway, I was walking there and I was 13 or 14 or so, and I was with my three friends, and we were going up to the where the big orange dinosaur used to be, so we could go and play some mini golf. And I turned to my friends and I was like my my given name is George Joseph Tringali. And not many people know that. Uh, everyone knows me as Jake. I realized, you know what? The name George just doesn't fit me. I want, I want a change in my life. Like I didn't do a dramatic hairstyle change or anything like that. I changed my name. And so I asked my friends, I was like, what? I, I don't feel like a George. I don't feel like this person anymore. What should I change it to? And they were readily. Yes. Did you Say always that, that? Did you did you always kind of not feel like? No, 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 no. Uh, I it was something I just never considered too much. And then finally, when I did, yeah. I was like, you know what? I I feel like a life change is is happening. I, and it's like no one else. There was no one I knew that changed their name when I was thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. Um, Other than maybe like, you know, uh, celebrities. (laughs) I was going to say (laughs) Prince. I was about to say that too, but that's it. Prince Prince and you. (laughs) Use name appropriately. And so I I turned to my friends and I was like, what should I change my name to? Guys, give me some, give me, you know, let's let's workshop this. And they were like, Dick and Roy and George Bob. And I was like, yeah, uh, so I could have been Roy. Uh, fine, fine. Uh, I, I said, well, I'm thinking about either the names Nick or Jake. Cause I feel those names calling to me a little, a little closer than George was. And I eventually took the name Jake and I had a, the family had a new cat at the time and I gave my cat the name Nick. And, uh, that's how, that's how I came about. That's it. And then after that, once I had the new name, I was able to try other things and, and, and just be a different person. Wow. Was it very liberating? Was it very strange? How did your friends and family accept this name change? Was it a formal thing? Like, did you have to go sign, I don't know, papers somewhere? It, or it, it was not a formal how does thing. It work? Um, I went around and just, I asked everyone or told everyone, I was like, I, I prefer to be called Jake. Like I had the balls to do that when I was 13 or 14. That's crazy. Um, and so that's amazing. 
exactly. Uh, uh, that is a my friends were like, okay, fine. Another of them, you know, made fun of me for a little bit, but then ended up calling me that. My family, to this day, jokes about it a little bit, but they'll call me Jake, or they'll call me they'll call me George, but specifically with the northern suburb accent, it'll be hi, Judge. 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 Yeah. Hi, Judge. And my best friends. So you respond to that, What's that? with your family. So you will respond to that name I, I will, out of with your family? You know, you, you, I'm not going to yeah. argue with my elders in my family too much. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one in the family that has probably, you know, that has traveled a lot. Uh, I'm the one that's, that's less white picket fence than most others. You have departed. Possibly. Possibly. I, it's making me remember, I have a name story, like my name was changed, not as dramatically, but I was actually, because I was born in the United States and I moved back to India when I was four. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think I was about four years old. And so I was talking at this point, I was <laughs> chatty as a kid too. <laughs> and I had, I had a very heavy American accent and I joined the school there. It was like the equivalent of kindergarten it was called transition there um it transition sounds progressive it sounds very progressive <laughs> but that might or it, it also sounds kind of like, <laughs> like a fake church it's like come to transition <laughs> really we're not a church we're not <laughs> <laughs> and so i joined sort of halfway through the school year so everybody else was already there and established and knew each other these are kids, you know, we were, yeah, four or five years old, I forget. And so I was a new kid and I was put in front of the class to tell everyone my name. I was painfully shy as a kid, um, which lasted uh, the better part of my life. It's I'm still a shy person, actually. People don't believe it when I say it, but anyway. And so I'm there with this heavy American accent at the time, which is also strange to think about. My first yes. accent was actually an American accent. Um, which is odd, but I'm standing in front of this class saying my name in a heavy American accent. This is a shy person. And I was probably mumbling a little bit. I was very embarrassed being, you know, stood up there in the middle of class. The kids were all, they were all young. They were all restless. Like, all right, let's get on with this. Who is this person? And we want to get back to our Legos or drawing or whatever it is that the kids do. And the teacher kept repeating my name after I said it to echo it to the class. And she kept pronouncing it incorrectly. So we went through, you know, two, three, four iterations of me saying, no, it's Raina. No, it's Raina. And she couldn't get it right. It's also kind of an unusual name um, mm -hmm. for where I was. So it wasn't like an immediate, you know, you could make the jump and, and know, know exactly what it was. And at some point, I just gave in to the embarrassment and I said, yes, it's that. And she had stopped at the pronunciation, Rhina. So everybody, and that this is a school that went from, from kindergarten transition all the way um, to 12th grade. Some people dropped out at, at the 10th mm -hmm. grade and went to something called junior college, but you could stay up until the 12th grade. So these are people basically your entire childhood that would know you. Yes. Unless and the adult in the room saying your um, name now is now Rhino. So I was, 
is now Raina. And at that point, I was yeah. dying so much from embarrassment that I just said, yes, it's that, just so I could go sit down and not be the focus um, of the moment and, and the source of irritation and, and right. you know, annoyance <laughs> by the rest of the class. And so that's what I got named. And there's probably people to this day from that school who know me as that. I don't know anyone actively that I'm in touch with actively that calls me that. But it's definitely there. And if I ever hear it, I haven't heard it for years now, but if I hear it, it definitely takes me back to a time. And it took for my sister to come into the, the, she she was in a different school, but she transferred halfway through to my school. We were much older. I was like in the 11th or 12th grade when we were in the same building at the same time. And she would call me Raina. And so then people started asking me, like I'm in the 12th grade at this point. I'm, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, close to 18, I guess. People (laughs) are coming up to me and saying, what is your name? And I, at that point, like it had been going on for so many years that, you know, it's like when a lie starts, you're, you're crushed by it. And then it's, it feels you're too deeply entrenched in it to undo it. So I never got to undoing it until she came along and started asking questions or just the the discrepancy started showing. And that's when I had to come out and say, actually, yeah, my name is Raina. It's a small difference, but names, names mean things. Words mean things. They're important. They're very important to me. Yeah. Um, I'd be yeah. I'd be curious if you ever have the creative motivation to do so to use Rhina as one of your avatars to use to 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 make your I don't even know if you could possibly make that connection anymore to Rhina. I'm sure you could in some way. I'd, I'd be curious to hear a Rhina poem. A Rhina poem. I, I wonder if those big emotions know. could, been, could translate over the decades. I'd be adult, curious. I I mean, they are. This is what they are right now. They've just kind of morphed and and grown um, as I have as a person. Um, but I'm still. I very often think about like I. I have a very tenuous connection to that that young person that I was, and there's lots of gaps in my memory, like more so than when I talk to other people and they have very clear memories of, of being a child. And I have very specific stories that I remember very clearly, but there's lots and lots and lots of gaps. And I'm curious myself about going back to see if I can fill in those gaps or what caused them to happen. Um, or maybe just let them go, you know, and right. be like that's just how it was. I don't have a, a memory of doing things at a certain age like if people ask me, oh, how old were you when that happened? I was like, I have no idea. I just say yes. eight or 10 or 12 for everything. I just guess because I had no concept of like myself under the parameters of normal society. Like I didn't relate much to kind of what you were supposed to do or what your 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 calling, like, I don't know, what your age required or what the the, the institutions around you asked for. I was very apart from that i was yeah i was definitely <laughs> a fringe dweller <laughs> i didn't understand it honestly it's a kind of it's a lonely yes. place i think you understand yes. this place 
you know, it's a lonely place. And, and I was, I was put up on a pedestal by a lot of kids around me because I had certain talents that they didn't have, but what they didn't understand is that I lacked a lot of kind of day-to-day skills or abilities or, 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 uh, you know, just frames of mind that, that I, that to me seemed alien and bizarre. Um, It's like, I just, we just lived in different worlds. And so, yeah, it was a strange, it was strange (laughs) growing up as Rhina was odd experience but having a unique name has definitely you know people say there's something about your name and and uh, I've had lots of conversations about my name how it's pronounced where it's from what does it mean um definitely been the opening point for lots of conversations and somebody as curious as me who goes up and talks to strangers will inevitably end up talking about names or you know the accent I have where I'm from so there's a little exoticism built in there um, because I don't look like I'm from anywhere. I don't sound like I'm from anywhere in particular. So everyone thinks I'm from somewhere else. This is, this is the story. This is the theme of my life. Everybody thinks I'm from somewhere else. Yes. So I'm always an outsider, <laughs> but I'm always welcome. Weirdly. It's a weird, a weird mix. It's a very weird mix. I'm trying to see how I can use it. Not use it, but like it's worked in my favor in some sense that I... So when people I meet you here in Boston, in one sense, of the questions they might ask you is, can... oh, so how long have you been here? <laughs> but they also ask me for directions. Like people think I live here. I have gotten asked yes. by tourists. I had just moved here. When I got asked, I can't tell you how many times I get asked for directions on the street. I get asked in stores for th- like where things are. Like people think I'm a shop assistant. I've got asked in clothing stores if I can help with finding. And sometimes I just oblige. I'm like, sure, let's go. <laughs> let's go find out. Um, and I'll say, yeah. I'll be upfront. It's like, I don't work here, but let's go find out. I think you, you know, I try to be happy. But it's really interesting because I have this, I guess. I, I remember back in going back for those teenage years awesome. that I would be walking through the streets and people would come up and ask me for directions, this, you know, pre-GPS. And we would always give directions. Remember, we were teenagers. Yeah. We would give directions uh, based off of what liquor stores they would be passing by and turning. Turn left at Lacapi's liquor store, and then go down <laughs> two streets and past the park that we play football <laughs> at, and then you'll you'll find your way. Um, yeah, that's that's how we would always do it. <laughs> it's funny what yes. markers make a difference, right? In, I remember in India, often in, in Goa, before I moved here, I was living um, in a place that had, you know, it was kind of not very good roads and lots of small little side roads. None of them really had names. Very few had names. And so always when you ask directions, it was always like, take a left at the church and then you see a big palm tree next to a rice paddy. And there's always a guy <laughs> with a car over there. So take a left yeah. over there. And then, you know, it was like, these were the kinds of directions or like follow the sun. Essentially. I, <laughs> was, you know, you'll see yes. the ocean in front of you. Just um, keep going I, straight. So I, hit I the grew ocean. up in and around Boston and I, I started exploring Boston in, in the teen years when I, when I realized that the T was something that you can just get on. Like you didn't need adult supervision. And so uh, I or my friends and I would go to downtown crossing, would go to Harvard Square and just hang out. And then when it got time for 
college admissions was coming around and I, I knew I wanted to go to college. Um, I, even though Boston has more colleges per square foot than anywhere else in the world, uh, I was looking around at my friends and, and asking them, I was like, what are you, what are you going to do after high school? And like, we're staying here. Why would we go anywhere else? And that, that like upset me. I was like, I, wow. Not only do I not want to be here, but I, I, I don't trust people that haven't traveled. Um, so I, I ended up going to, mm. to a university in upstate New York and then traveling up and down the East coast and up and down the West coast. And from time to time I would come back to Boston and I'd like, like Boston's my boomerang. It's my hometown. I love it here. And I boomerang back here three or four times in my life. But the curiosity to explore. Yeah, the curiosity to explore. There's so much to see out there. There's so much. And I'm glad, I'm glad, yes, certainly to to be able to, to to have the opportunity to travel and to try these foods and drinks. But to meet the people is just an amazing thing. Yeah, it's a pretty, I mean, I used to travel a lot. I, oddly enough, I've lost my impetus to travel before pre-pandemic even, you know, now it's just not really possible at the moment. Um, But even before this, I think, I don't know that I got it out of my system. I think I was doing it, Mm -hmm. I was required to do it a lot. Um, Kind of small, small bits of travel constantly and so there's an exhaustion that comes with that and then I realized also with technology um, and being curious especially in a place like Boston that is uh, urban metropolitan I can meet people and get perspectives and and expand my my way of being through people and I don't I can still sleep in the same bed every night which is quite nice. At this point <laughs> in my life, I'm like, I still want my bathroom and I want my bed and I want my pillow. I don't want to sleep yes. on a pillow the that somebody else has been drooling on. Are few and far between now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I come from a culture, a specific like subculture, the Gujarati community that are somewhat known to be kind of fastidious, shall we say about certain things cleanliness and and one's own space it can be very small and very simple but like you don't that's, get into that your sanctuary with dear yes. clothes and dirty feet you just don't yes it is very much a sanctuary like the bed the pillow like it can be very very simple but it is a sanctuary and so there's something sacred about um maintaining these these things um that i'm i guess in my old age <laughs> It's, I'm getting it's more good particular to, it's good about. Have, I don't know. I, I believe in. I believe um, in. But you've really ritual. expanded. I believe in, in in things that are that can that can tie you, and ground you, in a world back again in a world full of chaos that's that's just full of entropy and just winding down as much as quickly as it possibly can, yeah. um, to have some structure, especially now. I think. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, especially now. I think, I mean, as someone who's always sort of avoided uh, traditional structure and the nine to five and all of the other things, you know, I've 
I've cobbled together a life in some odd way, but I look back and I realize that I have, there are definitely certain grounding things. They don't look like the normal grounding things, but like I always fold my underwear, <laughs> fold and sort my underwear. Okay, I I gotta go. Everyone listening, <laughs> you should know this. <laughs> I didn't know that you were a serial killer. You could have just started the conversation by saying, it just... this is my admission. Let me put it on tape so that it can be used in court. <laughs> but it's everyone in my family yes. does this. This is just normal for us. It is just a normal thing for us. Like cooking is very grounding. I always make my bed. I always make my bed. I can't stand an unmade bed. Like I want to come to a made bed. It's simple. It's not like I, I don't have lots of things around it. There's not a bunch yes. of throw pillows. I have, I'm very averse to decorative pillows. Just so you know, <laughs> everything is very practical, Minimalist. very simple, very minimal without kind of, Okay. Yeah, but not in like the minimalist. Which is that, that, that in and of itself is not minimalist. Wait, <laughs> the um, word minimalist is poor, poor, poor form. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Small M. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I just, I don't like to have to care for a lot of stuff and, and hoard a lot of stuff and have a lot of space for stuff. So so I like to live lightly and simply. Um, but with what I have, I like to have it just be like organized. A, a bandmate actually um, from one of my bands had said it's like you're the most organized musician I've met because I would make notes of each rehearsal and I would record our sessions and and send out like, <laughs> meeting this is not something I've ever done before in my life but anyway so there's certain things there's certain things that are important that just make me feel like there's a little bit of agency in one's life because I've lived a life of a lot of change, a lot, a lot, a lot of change, a lot of change. I've sought it out. I think I have some expertise in change. I mean, you have departed, as we were saying. I, I have. And, script, you know, I've, I've departed given script, a lot from right? a lot of people's given script. You know, the the position, the work, the job that I do, the, the one that I get paid for is a position in which I work in the evenings. And so I, you know, five five nights a week, I'm running a nice restaurant and it's, you know, I finish work at, at, at around 11 o'clock or midnight. And so that there precludes me from being able to have a nightly 7 p.m. dinner with the family or a friend or whatever, or go to the happy hour and hang out with friends after work. Um, but, mm -hmm. but I've learned that the friends that you make after midnight I've said this before the friends that you make after midnight you're very loyal to those are good <laughs> friends those are good friends to make <laughs> friends yes the places friends that you can see in boston i love sh like showing my my view of boston mm. to people that don't necessarily know it I, I love showing you know the places that you can go to after midnight and have a good time and meet people and 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 the you know there's there are still some shows that are that are, might still be going on. I might catch like the last two bands of a show at like Charlie's Kitchen or something like that, um, and it's fun. I, I like hanging around with the artistic crowd. And I and now I, I'm curious if I were to ever change to a nine to five job, what that would be like for me. There would be so many opportunities for me to get into trouble. Mm -hmm. There's. 
<laughs> I think this is what it is. We both realize that if we did, yeah, we did the very much so. Thing, I'd be, I would be fucked. There's so many shows I would go to. I would go and see all the, all the bands. I would go see all the weird shows that are happening at like once ballroom. All the, all the, um, uh, boss. The I don't know. All all the fun shows. Um, all the events. I still remember the fun shows. I remember the fun shows, but still, we go to the weird place. Like the play, the fun places are for us. That seem for me, I found places around Cambridge and Boston, Somerville, that feel like home in a way that I, I didn't really know for a lot of my life. And walking into these places where these are people who didn't grow up the way I did, don't have names that I heard growing up that, you know, look differently and talk differently. And still, I feel like I can connect to them in a way. I mean, it was only <laughs> tutus and glitter on yes. and <laughs> there's, yeah, I, I am, I am looking forward to seeing you know. my friends and my, my other houses, my other homes open up as soon as possible. I look, I look forward to going to the Midway cafe. I look forward to going to Once Ballroom. Um, you know, those are the places where I I get to meet uh, interesting people in my life and maybe maybe some meet some new people um, that are fun. Like I, I think the last show that I saw you at yeah. was at the Boston League of Re Wicked Wrestlers. We went to a wrestling show together. This is right. We went to. Oh, a yes. Queer women's it, wrestling show with costumes, costumes and, blood and, glitter and, and blood. I mean, it was amazing. Amazing. It was I, amazing. I laughed. I laughed oh, she so was blood hard. And glitter. <laughs> I, I nearly just went. To, I was going to go to the ground. I didn't want to alarm anyone, but I was laughing so hard I was losing my breath, and I almost just fell to the ground into a. a, a curled position to catch my breath, but I was able to hold on to it. It was one of the best shows I'd ever been to. Goodness. It was a really, that was a tremendous experience, I have to say. And I really hope we get yes. to a point where we can have something like that again in the world. I really do. Um, you have departed a lot from your script. You've done so many th i mean you started by changing your name that wasn't even like the cap that was the seed of everything that was the, the 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 seed of so many other things you changed your name you went away for college you got interested in poetry you got interested in music you play from time to time things yes and Lots of well, other the, things. The, the artistic Lots thing of other I didn't pick kind up for me until about for the sure. last year of college. I went to um, a school for, uh, I, I ended up with a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. And I was there for the four years. And by the fourth year, my senior year, my last year there, I looked to see what classes I needed to take to finally get out of this institution. <laughs> and I was one computer science class in the rest of all the credits I had to take were electives. And so I took every art elective I could possibly take, computer music, computer arts. I ended up with a minor in what was called electronic arts then. And 
it was one of the most satisfying years of my life. I was able to, to steep myself into the history of art and, and try and start coming up with whatever kind of voice I might possibly have. Now, back then, I couldn't have termed it in those ways. It was just like a, a little neophyte. Um, but uh, I can see that now, that that was a very formative year for me. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you've had poems published in places. I, I, you are compiling. I am, I am guest editing yes, a poetry, poetry journal Is that called happening? Eye to the Telescope. Um, and I am, I'm specifically, I'm doing their sex issue. So the, the theme of this particular issue will be upon sex and whatever, whatever form that people want to write about it. And this is some area in which you have interest and I, I, experience and some I, I have I some imagine. interest in it, yes. I enjoy the sex. I enjoy these things. I enjoy sexy things. It's fun. I like going to the burlesque shows around here. I like hanging out with my sexy friends. But sex sex is mainly just a silly, fun, recreational I'm very grateful thing, for the burlesque uh, that, that, that friends do with each other. Yeah, I have, I mean, coming from a place where the thinking around it was very, very, very different and still is, it's really refreshing to meet people who can speak openly about sex and be open about it and be kind of... Yes, it was such a stigma. Casual in a respectful it is way a about it. It's, con you know, still con uh, a big taboo mm -hmm. to talk about. Uh, mm -hmm. in certain ways. Um, but I'm glad, at least in mm -hmm. our area, our region, um, I think the people are getting a little bit more comfortable talking about it. I do. I do. I mean, you live in a very um, interesting yeah, I, house. I have, uh, I'm living yes. in a, a big house. Can we talk about that? Um, just at the edge of the Watertown Cambridge border. I am looking out of my window right now at the Mount Auburn Cemetery, which is blooming and beautiful right now. And um, I am here with three of my best friends. Um, two of them I have worked. I, no, two two of them I have heard, I had worked with before. Who you didn't know? In the various before. restaurants that I. Oh, you did. And we just you know, there are, there are a number of people that you work with in your life that you get along with, and they were two of them. And uh, I saw an ad come up on Craigslist. Uh, for when I was looking to find a new place to live a couple of years ago. And it said, we're three women and we are in our 30s, 20s and 30s. And we're looking to uh, take over this place in Watertown, right by Mount Auburn Cemetery. Uh, there's three rooms upstairs. We're going to take those three rooms. We're looking for one person to take a room downstairs. Also, they have to be comfortable with a sex positive, positive house. Also, we want to put in a ball pit. And so I emailed them immediately and I said, hey, remember me? I used to be your boss. <laughs> I'm back in town. <laughs> I'm back in town. And uh, I love you guys, first of all. I'm glad, to, glad that you're finding a new place. I'm also looking for a new place. Uh, I am sex positive. Let's talk about that. 
And by the way, I'm moving back from Los Angeles and I already have a ball pit. And so uh, uh, we got together and, and amazing. Uh, amazing. Talked, talked it out and they invited me to come and join with them. And it's been an amazing time over here. And I want to say also that a lot of people, I think on the out, like on the face of it might think, well, if, you know, four sex positive people move into a house together, they must just be sleeping with each other all the time. And that in fact, isn't, doesn't have to be the case at all. Like there can be very respectful, open conversations and just the, the, the range, you know, we started off this conversation about saying how you thought friendships were binary, like every, you know, people either had to be your best friend and never slight you or had to be your enemy. And you're living proof of the fact that there's such a range of ways to exist and you've existed in really. Yes, there's, there's so many different flavors and vanilla is a nice space. flavor, but there's so many other nice flavors, too. Um, yeah, we, you know, we don't sleep together here. Um, we will hug and cuddle each other from time to time. But mainly we're just like cheerleaders for each other's lives, um, whether sexual or not. Uh, professional lives, just just anything in, in, in particular. Um, you know, we, we, we cheer people on in, in whatever endeavor they want to do. Um, th that's one of the things I, I had mentioned before that I learned to say yes as a teenager or even scream it. And now I've started surrounding myself with people that when I come up with an idea, it's like, what if I did this? What if I, I have this creative idea? What if I put together a book of these things? And people, yes, yes, go and do that right away. Like, what if, I, what if I applied for an NEA grant for poetry? It's like free to do. You do it every two yeah. years. And it's, you have a better chance of winning that than winning the lottery. It's like, and, and people said, yes, go do that. Support and encouragement for mad, wild ideas is something I fully endorse. And I'm fully on board with. Like, I think I would have loved to have that growing up um i think there's a lot of questioning and criticism or just kind of reservation around wild ideas and the opposite where you have encouragement and support and it's not really going to make or break like the big picture of your life necessarily at the outset but just for somebody else, for you to be able to be comfortable enough to say to somebody else hey i have this crazy idea and i want to try this thing and for them to say, yes, just that little bit of validation, which enforces the trust between you, which, you know, gives you a little bit of courage and strength to take the next step forward. I mean, uh, yes. So, so thing, I, one of the Iceland. people that Can I met in my this? life, uh, her name is Jo, <laughs> and she's a physicist at UMass Boston. And she's amazing, amazing, amazing person. One of the best, one of my best friends. And um, we met and within a couple of weeks of knowing each other. And I said, hey, do you want to like, I, I, I'm down for traveling sometime soon. Do you want to travel? And we decided that we we're going to go to Iceland together because it's a place we've never been to before. And we got a bed and breakfast there and it was January. And so it was one of the coldest months. Still not as cold as it was in Boston. It was uh, still a little warmer than Boston. But we went there and we uh, uh, met the people. We... Uh, tried all the different 
delicacies, including the fermented shark. Because we were like, yes. We found this crazy museum. Well, there's a crazy museum. And you found this crazy museum, It's a kind of somewhat small city. Um, most of Iceland lives in Reykjavik. Uh, yeah. And there is the uh, Icelandic Phallological Museum. The Icelandic Phall the Icelandic Phallological Museum. The what? And the Phallological Museum is one guy <laughs> who uh, started collecting uh, penises. And so he has a collection of over 200 types of penises, not human penises, just like here's a deer penis. Here's a whale penis. The whale penis is over six feet tall. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a picture of me looking very embarrassed next to it. Really? Um, oh my God. <laughs> I'm very embarrassed inside my head right now, it's, but it's also fun. very like, it's, it's thrilled a fun place and also very The thing that I like, about, I like the <laughs> silliness of, of, of sexual activities and, and I think that's hilarious. And so uh, we went there and, and, and Joe got a t-shirt that says uh, Icelandic Phallological Museum. It's all about the dicks. And where, where is it proudly? And uh, and it's been, and and you get to the end of this museum. It's basically two different rooms, and some of the penises are up on display. Some of them, it's like here's a lamp that's made of testicles. Like weird stuff is happening there. And and you walk through it, oh and before you leave, of course, oh you have to God. exit through the gift shop because it is a museum. <laughs> and we're exit just before you exit. When it, when I went, just before you right. exit. There was right. like a plaque that said, to this day, there are no human penises in the museum. We have, we have two people that are in line to someday oh, there are donate their penises when they pass on. One is an Icelandic person and one's a guy from Texas. Um, but we don't have any here, so come back later and maybe we'll have it. So I, you know, I'm a head full of yes. And I walk right up to the museum curator, like the guy, well, actually I walk up to the person in the gift shop and I introduce myself. And uh, Hjortor uh, is, is the guy I'm talking to. Hjortor is also the curator of the museum. And he explains that he built the museum up because someone gave him a whip that was a, like a bull, test, a bull penis whip. And he like put it on display in his house and someone saw that and they're like, oh, you know what? This guy likes penises. So I'm going to give him, we're going to give him some gifts. So it's like when I was 13, when I was 13, someone got me a Marilyn Monroe poster and I put it up in my room. And so for the next three years, whenever my family would get me a gift, they're like, he likes Marilyn Monroe. We're going to get him Marilyn Monroe posters and calendars. And I was like, oh God, it became. <laughs> oh man, having a thing. Yeah, this is why I don't have a single yes. one thing because I'm like, people would just give me stuff so, about the thing and I would hate the so thing he, then he eventually. eventually uh, um, yeah, he eventually started that's putting funny. the thing in the museum. Oh my goodness. So he got and I said, a bull. Yeah. Uh, how does, do, well, you, you must get a lot of people asking to be in the museum for the heinous, human penis display. He goes, no, what are you talking about? I said, well, if I wanted to do it, how would I do it? He goes, well, I, here, here's my email address. When you get back to Boston, email me and we'll figure something out. And so uh, I did just that. Uh, I, I 
have uh, been in contact with him since. And uh, he sent me official letter stating that when I die, my penis will be sent to the Icelandic Phallological Museum to be put on display. I don't need it. I don't need it at that point. <laughs> oh my God. I don't need it at that point. I'm going to pee myself. I've heard. What's that? And the hardest part was trying to find. <laughs> like, I, t- I told my friends about this because, you know, obviously when I die, someone's going to have to help. <sighs> So my my friends and my family, I have to tell my family. Who does this for you? Yeah. And so I, they, they all know it's in my will. It's in my it's in my will that this will happen. The hardest oh part was finding someone goodness. that will operationally, physically, logistically take care of the thing. And I called them. <laughs> my mouth is dropped open right now, just so you no, know my I... jaw. Is hanging I, I can be a very, very low, person close to the ground. Persistent, and I use brute force <laughs> sometimes to get things done. So for the next, for the next, uh, I think it was like 14, 16 months, <laughs> I would contact organ donor places. I would contact major hospitals, and I'd be like, "Hey, I'm I'm not a crackpot. I am. I, I have this legitimate thing I want to do. I want to help this museum out a little bit by becoming a museum piece." And, and people were like, would not talk to me. They're like, we would lose our license. And so I went to the license board of Massachusetts and I was like, hey, I want to get this thing done. Can you give like an exception or can you tell me why I can't get this done? And they weren't being helpful. Eventually, I found a funeral home after like 12, 14 months of searching. I found a funeral home in Dorchester that will help take care of the procedure and send it along to Iceland for me. No, I am amazed. I am completely floored right uh, now. I just cannot even handle the amount of dedication but are you, are you, and insanity. Are, maybe it's too much for me to ask, but are you a do- organ donor? This is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's a I think I am. I signed off somewhere once. Like I would rather, yeah. Well, also because one of my favorites, my favorite comedians, Doug Stanhope, (laughs) is like he's super dark and nobody, like he's not popular, and that's why I like him. Uh, He has this whole piece of like, either you pay lots of money to be buried, which I'm not into. I don't understand that even though you live next to a cemetery, I don't know. Anyway, and my people, we, we cremate. Yes. But I'm like, in between the two is like, just get the body to science. I mean, if I, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life taking care of my spirit right. and then the body can be used for science and someone will come pick it up, I guess. So I think I did that. But so basically you become like an organ donor. This is an art. Let's just be clear. This is a museum. <laughs> this is an art organ donorship. quality, but only when I die. This is a posthumous. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever. Well, yeah. there, were, there was another museum in Iceland that uh, it was like Icelandic National Museum or something. And it was a three story building. And they had beautiful artwork up of, strangely enough, a lot of it was vagina based. Um, I don't know what's happening in Iceland. So in the basement of it was like a child's room that had a chalkboard. And I was like, oh, no one is here. No one was there. It was January. So Iceland was kind of quiet. 
And so Joe and I went down and we started picking up chalk and making our own museum quality art pieces. And so, you know, we, as soon as we put chalk on board, we was like, hey, this is a museum piece. Uh, in the ice, so I was up in the Icelandic National Museum for at least a day. I, I remember I drew a picture of a hardcore punk with like a flip Fair cap enough. singing into a microphone. That was my contribution. I, there is an addendum to that story excellent. of the fellow logical Museum for, for people that are interested. This is all great. Um, there was a documentary that came out uh, called The Last Member, and it talks about those, yeah, The Last Member. It is a serious, it, it is a documentary, it's fine, but it's, it's an actual documentary in which uh, they talk to the curator of the museum and they talk to those two gentlemen that had uh, previous to me um, pledged their penis to the museum in like their kind of race <laughs> to see who gets there first, by like who dies first. And it turns out that the old Icelandic gentleman was the first there. And the, the end of the film is this grand unveiling uh, of his piece. And it's a, it's a very nice story. It's a very nice story. The guy in Texas is a crazy person. Um, oh, my God. So I'm not oh too happy to be compared to him, but. This whole thing is very bizarre. It's very bizarre. It's very wonderful. I'm very happy to have <laughs> you and discovered at least some very odd things about you. And I'm sure there will be more. Uh, you've also shared, and I will play it mm -hmm. right after this, I guess, or at some point in the middle. I don't know how to do this elegantly yet, but we'll share the mandolin. Piece yes, and, and, and uh, a quick story on that. I, there is a on your porch. Uh, thing called the Black Market oh. here in Boston in which uh, artists will get together and sell. Um, they'll, they'll set up uh, tents or, you know, little tables to, merch tables, basically, uh, to sell their gear, to sell their artwork, to sell their music. And I was at, I think it's the Elks Club in Somerville uh, on a super hot day, went down there and uh, went up to a musical table. And there was this black mand electric mandolin uh, that was listed for $30. And, you know, I play guitar and I like stringed instruments. And I was like, yes, $30, bam, you've got it. And it sat, I think I tuned it once when I got it home and played it for a little bit. They're very hard to tune. They're a little hard to play. And it just kind of sat on my wall. And then about three months ago, I realized, hey, you know what? I have some time to pull it down and, you know, just see, see what it sounds like if I start playing it without like any formal training. That's great. Do you have a name <laughs> for this piece? Uh, I do not, but I think you named it Little Diddy. In light of our discussion about the Icelandic <laughs> Little Diddy Big Museum, Little Diddy for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why. Fine. Big emotions feels thematically correct for this conversation. So let's wrap this with going into that Little Diddy <laughs> and saying thank you, Jake. I'm very happy you're in the world, whatever your name is, <laughs> however you see yourself. <laughs> 
And Excellent. thank you for doing this screening with me time. and for seeing uh, a big screening. I look forward yes. to hearing more of you. your voice and, and of the other people that you meet with. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Before you go, here's a little something you can do. If you want to tell me what you thought of this episode or if you have ideas of people you think I could speak to on future episodes, leave me a voicemail. Just go to anchor.fm slash the sense slash message and you can record a personal voicemail just for me. I might even play it on a future episode. Again, that's anchor.fm slash T-H-E-R-A-Y-N-A S-E-N-S-E slash message to leave me a message and tell me what's up. Until next time, my lovelies, thanks for listening and take good care. Bye.